welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hi, Jessica. Pete Caputa, CEO of Databox. Awesome. And if you want to tell me, what is the most exciting thing you are working on these days? Oof. Uh, these days, I'm working on a, a, a product launch, our second product launch. It's called Benchmark Groups. It allows companies to uh, benchmark their performance by uh, simply connecting any of 50 plus popular tools like HubSpot or Google Analytics or Google Search Console or Facebook Ads and instantly see how they are performing compared to other companies. Uh, it's free, instant, anonymous. We've been building this product out. It's our second product. And I've been uh, personally very focused in on, on uh, uh, making sure that we have, we're improving the product as we launch and get feedback, getting, um, getting feedback myself from people using it and, uh, and working with our marketing and, and customer success teams to introduce to our customers and stuff. That's awesome. How did you guys come? I, how did you guys come up with the idea for benchmarks? Uh, it's something that um, I've been dreaming of building for like the better part of ten years. Actually, it actually started with uh, when I was uh, writing for the HubSpot blog for a year before I left HubSpot. Um, all I did was write content for the HubSpot sales blog, which was a new blog at the time in 2016, and I was uh, crowdsourcing insights from people. Uh, on how they did things. Uh, and so I create these little quick forms or surveys and, and gather these insights. And I'm like, oh, well, they really, the articles turned out really interesting because they were pers perspective, had multiple perspectives and multiple ways to attack, you know, an issue or a deal with a specific scenario. Uh, and I realized like, there's really a lot of wisdom in the crowds if you can kind of structure information in a way where people can start to um, see how others are doing it, especially if it's companies like theirs. And then joining Databox, like we are experts at pulling data from other systems identif and identifying or building the metrics that matter. So, um, you know, if we integrate with uh, Google Analytics, we're going to pull metrics like sessions and pages per session and bounce rate. And so we've standardized those metrics. And so by combining that those two concepts of like, lots and lots of standardized metrics across multiple across companies where the metric means the same thing in company a and company b and then the crowdsourcing that i originally did years ago and we still do as you know at, at databox that just like kind of merging of those ideas together love it and i know databox has grown a ton um over the years can you maybe talk yes. a little bit about what your team structure is like today uh yeah and you've been a part of it right as a, a writer how long have you been writing with us actually um i think it's been a couple of years yeah, I think so too. Yeah, the structure of Databox. We, so we have 150 people. Uh, I'm obviously the CEO, as mentioned. Uh, the founder and, and um, president serves as our chief product officer, and he manages uh, like half the business uh, and half the functions internally, including product engineering and our people uh, or HR uh, function. And then I manage our customer success and sales org and, uh, and marketing. There's also a team we call revenue operations, uh, which which the leader of that team reports directly to me as well. Um, and so, pretty pretty flat. The most levels we have is probably like four levels, uh, include me and include like you know uh, the newest people on the team, junior people on the team. But each organization is a little different. If I were to take 
our customer success organization. It's probably the largest organization, but that also includes sales. In there, we have two people that report to a VP of customer success, uh, one that handles like all of the support related activities or activities where we're not necessarily talking to customers on phones uh, or on Zoom. And then one part of the org, we have a leader that manages sales on uh, customer onboarding and account management, though all those people have a role on those teams where uh, they are jumping on Zooms and helping people one-on-one, -on -one, helping customers one-on-one. -on -one. So, but each organization is a little different, like marketing, we have four different, I think four different managers. <laughs> like if I name them, I would be able to count them, but I can't count them without naming them. Um, and so each org is a bit different. Our engineering team has lots of small autonomous kind of teams that work on different parts of both the back end of the of our product as well as the front end of our product and everything in between. And we were talking a little bit offline about this, but you've been able to do something that I think a lot of founders and CEOs really aspire to, which is really being able to empower and hire and getting the right managers and executives in the right seats to be able to kind of focus a little bit more on kind of the strategy and the vision and working on the business instead of so much in it. Can you maybe talk a little bit to like your approach to how you go about hiring? Yeah, I wouldn't say like I'm a textbook uh, work on the business CEO. I bounce back and forth and have had to over the years for different things. For example, I managed the sales team directly maybe three years ago, uh, even even though you know, we, somebody was managing it before and I had to step in and, and help. So like I, I've bounced back and forth. Right now with launching this product, I'm probably doing the job of like part product management, part, mar part marketing, part sales. Like, and I find that it's helpful uh, for new things to have the CEO involved, um, hands-on. So that's why I'm involved in that. But, but yeah, I, like uh, I have the great people on the team, but um, great leader for our, our, um, our customer success and sales organization, Blue McDonald. And he basically manages the day-to-day, -day, the week-to-week, really the month-to-month, -month, like we meet weekly, but it's generally just to you know, talk about something that he he knows I'll have an opinion on um, and just to get, get you know, a little bit of guidance or direction. But for the most part, he's he's running that. Like I rarely have to ever get on a call with a customer, for example, or, um, or anything. So um, he's quite autonomous. Um, I also have a director of uh, revenue operations and you know she has our systems down designing making sure that the tools that we use internally the software we use internally is configured to support our business processes or that our business processes are are tailored to what the software can do uh, and not and then keeping track of performance and and making sure that um, each team is functioning and we're hitting kpis and goals and stuff so it's really a matter of like setting up different, systems and people so that I can kind of still have visibility into what's going on to make sure things are going in the right direction, but not needing to be there to make sure things go in the right direction, uh, at least not be there that often, be yeah. involved in. So really like systems are key. Can you maybe speak a little bit to, you know, maybe stepping back for a second and when you were going in and hiring a director of sales or a director of revenue operations? optimization, like what were some of the things that you kind of, you know, looked for within the process and what were some of the traits that you looked for within that interview process to find the right yeah. candidate? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Almost, uh, let's see, pretty much every one of the people that report to me started in a fairly junior role 
with maybe the exception of our VP of sales and service, uh, I brought him in to, to lead uh, customer success initially. And then he took over sales and he had management experience before he had run a team. Um, I think like a 30 person team, everyone else though, I hired kind of as entry level, you know, a director of revenue operations. It was her second job at a college and, and she started in, uh, just help just doing customer onboarding, onboarding our first customers, hundred customers or so. Um, and then John Benini had managed a small team who, you know, John, who runs our marketing had managed a small team before, but not a lot of, um, manage, you know, people management skills or experience, I should say. And so. I'm often looking for potential. I think that's the the biggest thing. I, you know, when I was at HubSpot, we were very similar, especially for the early days, was hiring people who were intelligent, curious, ambitious, um, you know, have good analytical skills, but also good communication skills. Um, it's really a lot of the basics of, you know, having that, having enough skills to do the job and then having the drive to learn and continue learning and and achieving so a lot of it is that we've hired other people into manager roles um but um probably 75 percent of the people that are managers now at databox were originally did the job like they did the job first some of them maybe for three months because we knew they had management potential um but but most of them for, you know, they did the job for the, for a year before we moved them into a management role. Yeah, that's super cool. And kind of diving into a follow-up question I had, um, it sounds to me like, you know, that obviously this means that you're really good at kind of seeing potential and also coaching people into achieving that potential. What are some of the strategies that you use to be able to coach someone from, let's say a more junior or a mid-level role where they're kind of an individual contributor into a role where they are now leading a smaller or medium-sized team? Um, yeah, so I think there is like, we do have a pretty vetted interview process, but I'd say there's like three things to that. So the interview and selection process and then training, I think of training is very different than coaching, but I, then I think there's coaching in a very specific way. I think of coaching needs to happen at least in a customer success organization, which is, um, maybe the easiest example. (laughs) Um, but I think it's applicable to other roles, but the nice thing about a customer success organization is you're. When you hire one person for a role, that means that you're probably going to hire five people and maybe someday 50 people or however many people you need. And so it makes sense to invest a lot in the hiring process and the training and the coach. From a hiring process, like, you know, we're very strict around you have to have a job spec, uh, has to be laid out. Like, we got to know what skills you're looking for. We lay out interview questions. We have a screen where we're making sure there's a a fit, making sure they have a pulse, like (laughs) kind of making sure they communicate well write well, things like that. And then, and then uh, we do a, um, a team interviews. Um, there's also an assessment before that, like a, a written assessment, assessment. Sometimes we license those, sometimes we build them. Uh, and then there's a role play where they actually have to like learn enough about our product to be able to present some of it back to us. And we're not, we're not necessarily testing for product expertise, but testing for their ability to and willingness to like go and learn a little bit and and communicate it effectively back. So that's that's important. And then we have a pretty intense training program. We have a time person focused in on training. That training program has gone through multiple iterations, um, expansion, uh, where there's coursework, self-study, there's group sessions where they get to meet different parts and uh, people from different parts of the team or the company. Uh, and then there's exercises that they're doing. Uh, we've also laid out many of the roles where there's like maybe three or four responsibilities in the role. 
they learn one at a time, do those for a period of time before they move on to the next one, which allows us to kind of oversee their work and make sure the quality of work is good enough for them to be eligible to do the next hardest thing. So we put a lot of thought into what, what a role, what responsibilities a role includes and then what sequence they need to learn and master those. And then on the coaching side, and I'm going to add a fourth one, but on the coaching side, we review work constantly. So the manager's job uh, is largely to review the work of the team members and identify next, help them identify next steps. So a lot of coaching, a lot of people who try to coach, I should say, focus in on like what you did wrong and what you should do next time. We do some of that. It's really almost impossible to avoid doing some of that, but our focus is much more of like, what should you do next in this scenario? So, so for a salesperson, that would mean the sales manager is listening to the call, looking at the notes, looking at the email communications after the call and saying, hey, you missed these five things. Let's craft a new message to this prospect and try to uncover that. Or on their next call with that person, let's, let's brainstorm what questions you should be asking in order to figure out like how do we help them best. So that's a big part of it. And then I'd say another big part of it is really around performance management and career growth. Um, and those two things are, I think are intertwined and especially in our system where we, we generally hire people um, kind of in roles uh, that are uh, simpler uh, and then give them an opportunity to move into roles that are more sophisticated. Like I said earlier, some people do that quickly because they have previous experience, but we rarely ever skip that step. Um, and it's not because they don't have like the, the, the traits or the, or the um, communication skills. It's because they don't have knowledge of our systems, of what our customers need, of the integrations that we've built with 50 plus tools. Um, so, um, so we'll bring someone in and their first job will literally be to follow up with new signups and say, hey, could I help you get set up? Or here's some things I could do to help you get set up. Or I see you set this part up. Would you like help getting this set up? And so it's very simple. Or they're answering questions from those users, which tend to be uh, on chat, which tend to be really simple. Um, so that would be an entry level role at Databox. And then a more senior role might be say an account management role where you're working with our customers that maybe have been with us for a while, they've been set up uh, and maybe they run into an issue or maybe, um, their usage has dropped off and it's our job to go back and figure out why is their usage dropped off and what can we do to, to get them to reinvest in, in learning the platform or using the platform better. That's super smart because I'm guessing that means that pretty much everyone within the team is at that point, you know, customer centric. I know that's kind of a buzzword, but it helps people understand, okay, this is what actual customers um, and or prospects are actually doing and how they're actually interacting with it. Yep, exactly. And diving in a little bit more into something you said earlier, which is about like performance management and, you know, coaching. And I think you also said, what was the other thing you said? Like career progression. I'm guessing yep. a fair amount of that probably happens within one-on-ones. Mm -hmm. How do you, I mean, how do you personally structure one-on-ones with maybe the senior people with, who report directly to you? I forgot about the performance management stuff. We can come back to it, but I didn't explain all that. But um, yeah, so how do my one-on-ones with my direct reports work? Honestly, they're a little all over the place, um, but I put it on them to structure the one-on-one. -on -one. It's on them to kind of update me with what happened that week. I, I do these weekly. Update me on um, what maybe they're thinking next, uh, not just next week, but uh, you know, a lot of times it's next week, but sometimes it's next 
next year. <laughs> Most of the time it's next quarter, next month, et cetera. So it's, it's talking through what's next. And then of course, any issues that they might need help addressing um, maybe cross team collaboration, stuff like that. And then we look at performance stuff or look at, so we'll look at numbers to say, Hey, this is off or this is working well or whatever. But I also observe a lot of team meetings. So I'll attend some of their team meetings, usually as a silent contributor or like a silent observer for the most part, of course they call on me or ask me to say stuff, but, but um, I, I've, I attend a decent number of meetings where I can see what's going on. Also, I have a good handle on what every team is doing and we have metrics associated with that. Um, so I can kind of see that without necessarily asking them or talking about that in our one-on-one, -on -one. which actually comes back to the performance management. Um, so I think it's, I think it's important to have both incentives for people who um, perform really well, as well as of course, safeguards for the organization for people who are underperforming and, and, and not showing signs of, of the improvement or improving fast enough. Um, and so on the on the upside thing, not only is there opportunities for people to get promoted from, like say the junior jobs we were talking about before, the entry level jobs we were talking about before to the more senior ones, but there's also opportunities for them to earn promotions and raises um, in the role that they're in. So for every role that we have, we have a level one, two, senior and principal level, which each of those correspond to higher compensation. Um, and so if somebody wants to stay in that junior role, like I have no problem with that. In fact, sometimes that's really good for longevity and, and like innovation in that role, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, it would take them maybe three to four years to earn that principal level title. Um, so if they want to stay in that role and continue there, that that's totally fine. And then on the underperformance side, we have um, two different performance plans. I think this is important. I, you know, I see all these, companies in the SaaS space, especially laying off a ridiculous amount of people. Um, you know, I just, yeah, I was just talking to a, a friend of mine who I used to work with uh, and 25% of this company that ju uh, um, just got let go out of, and they ju literally just ra raised three quarters of a billion dollars. Like they didn't need to cut all those people. And I think it's just that they didn't have, I'm guessing here, but uh, I think it's just because they didn't have good performance management in place. Um, and so to me, this was really important for us to get in place. We got it really firmed up the end of, um, yeah, the end of last year. So, or not last year, like it's 2023, so like 2021. And the way the way we do it is there's a 30-day plan and a 90-day plan. The 90-day plan is designed to help someone who's maybe struggling, um, but we think can make it, but and needs a little bit more time. But it's very objective in how they get into that plan. If if they're below 100 percent and but still above 80 percent for the trailing uh, three months of performance. So for the last three months, they you know only hit 75 percent of the goals goal of what we set for them. Um, then they would they would be under this. But if they had 85 percent, they'd be on that 90 day plan. Now if they did below 80 percent or that 75 percent, then they would be um, uh, on a 30 day plan. In which case. We don't believe that they're a right fit for a data box. However, we're going to give them an opportunity to prove that they are. And we do support them through this process. So if they decide, hey, I want to, I want to try to stay here at DataBox, they, what they basically have to do is to get 100% the, in the following 30 days. Um, and the 90-day plan, they also have to get to that 100% mark as well, but over a 90-day period. So those are, I think, are important. And, and I see... I know you, the, your audience here is a lot of people managing people remotely. Not every job can be distilled into a number, 
But I think whenever that's possible and it truly aligns with the value that they're delivering to the company or the customer, then it, it makes sense to put a number, um, you know, for someone to, for us to objectively manage um, performance. Um, and I find those systems are in place, then I don't have to worry about, you know, did they work seven hours or, you know, did they work nine hours? It's on them, right? Like as long as it nets out that everybody's working, you know, a reasonable set of hours in order to accomplish the objectives that we set. Um, that's really where the manager and my job kind of starts and ends, right? Um, and it's up to the individual to, to get that. Yeah, you're actually measuring by results and KPIs as opposed to like butt in seat time. So I feel like the other thing that I hear all the time is like, you know, people putting in like these like employee, uh, whatchamacallit, like monitoring systems where it's like, literally we have to like hook a button every like 15 minutes to yeah. make sure you're working, which everyone knows you can be sitting at a desk and not right. working at all. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. Like this sounds like- this Some days that's what I feel like my day was like. <laughs> yes, exactly. Staring at a black screen or staring at 500 to-dos, right? Like it can be overwhelming. So uh, yeah, but I think if someone has a job, it's clearly defined what their roles and responsibilities are. It's a manageable set of tasks then setting setting a KPI for them, a goal for them um, is a is the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you said something like really interesting there where it's like for people who aren't maybe, you know, being as, you know, as successful in contributing as much as others are, and you do have to put them onto a 30 or 90 day plan. How do you like what's been your success rate? Like by taking someone from, you know, a 90 day plan, you know, how many of those people end up, you know, sticking around and actually being amazing contributors versus people who do get weeded out? Oh, good question. I don't think I have the actual KPI around that. Yeah. So I don't think I could tell you, but I would generally say the people that go on a 30 day plan don't make it. Um, sometimes they survive that plan. It's a weird word to use, but mm -hmm. it's common, but they'll meaning they'll, you know, they'll, they'll achieve the target for that month. But I, we often find that that was temporary. Like either they had to work really hard to get it or they, figured out a way to hit for that month, but then kind of lost their drive, you know, cause they weren't at risk, risk of losing their job and, 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 and didn't work as hard and reverted back to working not hard enough. So the 30 day plan I would say has a pretty high rate of them not, not sticking around, at least not in the long term. The 90 day plan, my guess is, is probably somewhere in the, in the 50, 50 range. Um, again, a lot of times people survive that 90 day plan but then again, revert back um, to that. So it's, um, but a lot of people just decide not to. We had somebody recently um, who we gave, you know, we put on the plan and they just decided to, to leave, which is fine too, right? That's a that's their call. So I think uh, it's, yeah, it's 50-50. I think in some ways it's just a fair thing to do. Like it's a company taking some level of ownership over making maybe the wrong hire and, you know, I think it gives that person an opportunity to, to say, all right, I'm going to put my effort in here, but I'm also going to start looking for something alternative to this. Um, so, so I think it's, I think it's, there's some fairness to it in terms of, of why we do it as well. It's not, it's not always just to turn it around, um, but it's a way, a fair way to, to end the relationship. For. Totally. Um, and it sounds like going back to what you were saying before, where it's like, you have kind of tears, um, of like how people can get raises or get promoted to different roles. It sounds like a lot of that is really kind of a making sure like helping with employee retention and also, you know, could maybe not necessarily forcing an independent, an individual contributor into a management role just because they can get the promotion 
or whatever. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. So I look at, there's th really three ways to earn, earn a promotion in any given point of time for somebody that's, you know, in, in the, um, an individual contributor. So they, they could get promoted to a more senior level in that current role. So more senior level, uh, you know, the people that have been doing a role for two, three, four years, they're going to be more productive at it. They're going to be better at it. Their quality of their work is just going to be higher because they have more knowledge and experience. So so like paying them more makes sense. Even if they're doing the same volume of work, like they're just doing it at a higher quality level. Um, they But they do tend to do it at a higher level. In fact, in order to earn some of those promotions, you have to do over 100% of the target um, over a period of time. Uh, so that's one way. Uh, the second way is yes, to a new role. Like you did really well in this role and you've mastered it. And this, you've learned so much that like now you have a really great base of knowledge that will help you do well in this role. So got skills to learn or knowledge to learn for that role, but like you're set up well to succeed. Uh, and so that's the second way. And the third way isn't the management. And so any of those are great because what it means is that everyone, it, as long as they're thinking, I want to do this one, this one, or this, one, or maybe I want to do this one, maybe this one, then on the fence, the instead, like they should do the same thing. They should learn as much as they can do that job to the best of their ability, you know, work hard um, in order to earn it. And that puts them in line for really any of those three roles in the future. Now to jump to management, there's a different set of skills that you might not pick up as an individual contributor. But the nice thing about promoting an individual contributor in a management role is they know how to do the job. And in many organizations, that's, you know, at least 75% of the, of the, of the, um, of the battle. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have resources? And I'm guessing you probably have your go-to resources and like coaching for how you train up an individual contributor into that, like, you know, first management role. Um, I wouldn't say we're like super tight on it. We, we have some assessments that we use um, to help them think through different management approaches with people and how to manage someone who's, um, you know, uh, really wants to collaborate with you and help you and like brainstorm versus somebody that likes to go and do their own research and come up with a well-planned plan and present it to you. Like there's different work styles that people have. So there's a little bit of, uh, uh, we use assessment, a little bit of training there. Um, it's really on the like leaders to kind of train the managers in a way and make sure that there's both systems in place to enable that coaching and training, um, uh, accountability around that coaching and training. We actually track the coaching that we do uh, or the work that we review. Um, and, then, and then we have HR processes around performance management, um, skill tracking, like, you know, does this person have these skills? Etc. Um, so there's a lot of systems and process in place. Um, we could probably do more on like the situational coaching around management. Um, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, and I feel like a lot of people get into like go down the management track because they feel like it's the only way they're going to, you know, get that promotion or, you know, get stuff like that. And obviously they kind of forget that, oh, like management is actually a completely different job and a completely different skill set and a completely different mindset. Um, than being an individual contributor. Can you maybe talk to maybe some of the, like in your own experience, maybe it's the biggest mistakes that you see first time managers make? Yeah, I think the biggest one is like, is telling versus coaching. Um, so um, in, my er, in my mid twenties, I hired a sales coach to help me learn how to sell. And um, he had partnered with a training company and so i went through their training but the way 
he was able to help me close deals was I would just call him after my call and say, this is what happens. This is what we, this is where the call ended and what we agreed on. And he would just ask me like, do you think it's going to close? And I say, I don't know. And I'm like, well, what don't you know? He's like, well, I, and I would say like, I don't know this part about what, I don't know what their budget is, or I don't, uh, they didn't seem hesitant about committing to this in the short term because of other priorities or whatever it was. And he's like, well, did you ask him that? I'm like, no, I didn't ask him that. <laughs> he'd say, okay, well, what question could you ask? And I would say, well, I could call them back and say, where does this fit in the priorities? You told me the other priority was this. And like, when is that? Is it a month away or a week away or a year away? And he's like, okay, go ask him that. And I would go ask him that. And then I'd get my answer and I know, and I, you know, there's ways also to like, you know, get them, get the prospect to rethink their priorities and all that stuff. So he'd walk me through those scenarios. Uh, and I, so I'd be prepared for that next call. And so that's coaching. The coaching is like when the person that's being coached is the one that's figuring it out on their own, as opposed to coach saying, okay, you know, you were out on the field and you did this, that was wrong. You should have done this next time. Do that. Right. That's, that's not good coaching. Good coaching would be like, Hey, you did, did this really well on the field. Um, I observed you doing this. What did you think? Uh, he's like, well, I, nine times out of 10, an athlete knows where they screwed up and they'll tell you. I'm like, okay, well, how are you going to fix that? Like, I'm going to go practice it for an hour tomorrow so that I don't screw it up next time. Like, okay, go do that. Right. Um, and so that's a better way of coaching. And so I think that's the biggest mistake I see is managers trying to be the smartest person in the room or trying to tell them how to do things versus getting it out of the person because usually the people know. And if they don't know, then you can say, you know, would you like my help thinking through a solution, right? And you can get the solution, but um, they're going to be more bought in if they felt they, they, they did know this. And out of curiosity, do you think managers and or leaders in general are, you know, do you think the best managers or leaders tend to be introverts or extroverts, ambiverts? Um, I don't, I don't think it matters. Uh, I think, I don't think it matters. Um, I, I don't buy into the whole, so I totally understand ambiverts, introverts, extroverts, and that people are tend to have those, um, you know, there's people in my life that, that are extreme introverts. And, and like, after a party, they're like, I need a day to my, to myself. And then, you know, I feel pretty invigorated after social experience, but I also really enjoy my downtime to think and, and get organized and, 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 um, you know, think through things. So, so I think I totally get it. I don't think that matters too much um, as long as the person is passionate about helping other people improve. So I don't, I tend to not look for those things when I'm promoting someone. Yeah. Makes sense. And I always like to wrap up before I wrap up with a couple of lightning round questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, what's one book you'd recommend that all leaders, particularly remote or hybrid leaders should read? Um, I would probably go with, uh, um, traction. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with traction from Entrepreneur Operating System. A close second and related would be Measure What Matters, um, which is about OKRs, objectives, and key results, and how Google, et cetera, implemented them. So I think, I think uh, if you have your strategy, your company strategy right, or at least not right, it doesn't have to be right, but your company strategy defined um all the way through from vision all the way through to the goals that you set for the initiatives that you run and you have that system organized well i think the people management part i wouldn't say just happens but it happens much more naturally um it's much easier to manage when you do that well 
like in the US it said measure it matter. So I'm guessing Gia's data box use OKRs? We do use OKRs. Yeah, yeah. We're we're hardcore into OKRs. Yeah. Nice. And how long did it take you guys to evaluate and kind of get that process set up? Oof. Six how, how long I've been here? Six years. <laughs> it's never done. There's always there's always a disconnect somewhere in terms of, you know, one part of the process needs to be improved. And and so we're we're constantly tweaking it um and trying to improve our operating we call it our operating model really also of course like the okrs change you know ideally you have annual ones that don't change and then but the quarterly you're gonna uh change the 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 you know sub okrs that contribute to the annual okr so it's never really never done <laughs> yeah, of course i feel like that's uh, the case of any sort of goal setting and stuff like that right. and if you had to write a book tomorrow what would you write it about Oh, I have two books that I that I hope to write soon. One would be um, collaborative growth. That would be the title. Um, I don't think I've ever shared that publicly, like on a podcast. But I believe that uh, it's almost impossible for a company to go to market by themselves these days. It's just too hard to break through the clutter. You just either need a massive budget or a really long time horizon, or be doing something that everyone will naturally talk about, which is hard to do. Um, so I think that that's the first one. The other one is around performance management, specifically managing the company um, and how to how to uh, ensure performance management. Although I love the OKR system and those two books, I, I don't think there's a really complete system out there for managing both high growth and high margin businesses and trying to to balance and achieve achieve those two things. So that's the other one that's uh, in my brain, not yet on paper. Totally, I feel like there's like. Everyone always talks about either traction, they talk about OKRs, sometimes they talk about some general KPIs, scaling yeah. up by Vern Hernish, I think is his yep. name, yep. something like that. But like, there's nothing really like, you know, all of them have their flaws and or like, I feel like a lot of them are also just really catered towards 2,000, 3,000 organization, employee organizations. And there's right. not many for ones where I'm guessing of data box size where it's a couple hundred people or even smaller or even a little yeah, bit even smaller. Yeah, our typical customers in the 25 to 50 person employees where you don't need a lot of management, but you do need structure uh, if you hope to get bigger. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And my kind of final lightning round question, and I went off on a tangent there, but um, all good stuff. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Oh, any historical figure. That's a tough one. Um, Oof. I don't know if I've thought about this a lot. Probably Frederick Law Olmsted, which I know is probably a little left field, but I'm a big uh, gardener, uh, landscape, uh, like vegetable and flower gardening. And so um, so I'd love to, and I've gone to many of his parks and stuff. So I'd love to sit down with him and probably just wander around parks and understand how he thought. <laughs> That's awesome. It's been really great chatting with you, Pete. Where can listeners of the Remote Work Drive podcast find you online? Uh, I've been very active on LinkedIn. Um, I used for years. I was active on Twitter, and then with Twitter going through its whatever um, these days, I started playing with LinkedIn about four or five months ago, and realized that I probably should have been spending more time on LinkedIn, anyways. So, um, and uh, I was somewhat resistant because I was very inward focused, very focused on like building the team and and getting systems in place. And now I'm switch, switching gears to be more externally focused. Uh, and so LinkedIn is a, 
heck of a platform these days. So yeah, Pete Caputa or PC4 Media on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Jessica. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights. 